Hello. So, normally when I preach, this is going to be in my way. I need room to move. And they're not recording, so I can use the whole space. <laughs> yeah, but you're not using the video, are you? So I can move. I don't have to stand here. Uh, I, I told them this week, hey, are we going to get a headset mic? Because if you tie my hands up, I can't talk. <laughs> um, so normally when I preach, I do expository pre preaching. So what I do is I take a piece of the Bible and I just talk about that. And it's a lot harder to stray off the point because you have to stay with that text. Uh, but this week's uh, thing I've been thinking about for probably two months. And initially when Matt asked me to s preach a vision that I have for the church, this was going to be the message I was going to preach. But then I also found out that we were going to do a Revelation series. And I was like, okay, but this fits in with that. So do I get another vision? Anyway, long story short, this is the message. And it came out more out of conversations I've had with people. And so follow me along as I work through this thing. And my wife once came home and asked me, why don't you ever talk about eschatology? And I was like, because I don't like it. <laughs> so eschatology is the study of what happens when we die, uh, what happens at the end. And I honestly do not care. There's three schools of thought. Uh, there's the pre-millennial, there's the post-millennial, and there's the pan-millennial, who believes everything will pan out in the end. <laughs> and I fall into that category. Because even if I get everything right, I'm going to be dead by the time it happens, so it's not going to matter. <laughs> and if I get everything wrong, God loves me enough to say, it doesn't matter that your theology was long. I still love you. Come. <laughs> so... What do we do? Because this is important. That, like Paul wrote, oh, not Paul, John wrote this whole book at the end of the Bible, Revelation, that deals with the end times and what do we do? So obviously this is important. So my feelings aside, I once saw this bumper sticker, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. And it said, Jesus is coming, look busy. Who's seen that? That's just a funny thing, because that's what the world thinks. Like, oh, Jesus is coming. I better look like I'm busy now. And by the time you know Jesus is coming, it's going to be too late. Now, it's very important to understand that as Christians, we believe Jesus is coming back. That is so foundational to our beliefs that every single person, 11 of his disciples... Well, no, 10 of his disciples were willing to die for that promise. One hanged himself, and it's only John who died a peaceful death. By the end of his life, he couldn't walk anymore. And they carried him in stretcher from church to church just so that he could tell people more about Jesus and that he's coming back and you can trust him. So this is super foundational to what we believe. Jesus is coming back. Like, even the world knows that this is what we believe. We believe that a person who has died and we believe isn't on earth anymore is coming back. It's not being raised from the dead. It's not going to be a zombie movie. It's going to be 
Jesus coming back. So, as Christians, we are told to be watchful. And we have so many parables, but one of my favorite is the ten virgins who are waiting for the groom to come back. So they're sitting there, and they've all got their little lamps, and they light it up, and they didn't know at what time the groom was going to show up. And in the middle of the night, half of these virgins find out that <gasps> our oil is finished. And they ask their friends, can we have some of your oil? And they're like, mm -hmm, we don't have enough oil for you and us. You have to go fetch some more. And as they're out fetching some more oil, what happens? The groom arrives. So this idea of being watchful, being waiting, is something that's so ingrained in our Christianity. And we're all waiting, and we're all hopeful for Jesus' return. And we don't know when he will return. In Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. It says the same in Mark 12, 32. So, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, we know that he is coming back. So this is a strange time to live in. Because you know, it is going to happen, but you don't know when. My, my grandmother once sent me to the bathroom because I was naughty. And that's where we got our spankings, okay? No, I got beat. <laughs> anyway, sent us to the bathroom and we're waiting there. And 10 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by, half an hour, an hour, two hours later, I stick my head out of the bathroom and I ask my grandmother, will you please come hit us now? We want to go out. <laughs> and that fear and anticipation and just waiting because any moment she's going to come in now. <laughs> and it's awful to wait for something you know is going to happen but you don't know when. And this is what we're living with. Every day, we're expecting Jesus to come back, and we have to be ready. So we know that Jesus is coming back, and every generation lives with this conviction that Jesus is coming back in our generation. You go look through the history. Every, every single generation believed that Jesus was coming back in their time. The very early church believed that Jesus was coming back in their time. That's why they didn't write the Bible. The Bible started being written 30 years after Jesus died. They were hanging around and saying, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. And people started dying. They're like, okay, maybe we don't know when he's coming back. So 30 years after Jesus died, they started writing the book of Mark because they thought, we need to share this with other people. And so the rest of the Bible starts being written. And they realize that they have to leave something for the next generation to have this faith as well. There's this theologian in South Africa. His name is Isaac Berger. And he said, show me your faith in the return of Jesus and I'll show you your faith in God. Because we have to have this faith in his return. If you do not believe that Jesus is coming back, then the whole point of Christianity falls flat. 
if you are just a Christian for the sake of being a Christian, you're just a nice guy. <laughs> Christianity is not being nice people. It's about trusting and having faith in Jesus. So he is coming back, and we cannot wait. And what will his kingdom look like? We already saw what Jesus did while he was on earth. Whenever Jesus met pain and suffering, even death, he changed it. If Jesus met a de uh, dead person, that person became alive. When Jesus met someone that was blind, they saw. When he met someone that was deaf, they heard. So wherever the kingdom of God moved, life flowed. And that's what we're expecting. This is what we're expecting from the kingdom of God. We're expecting life. We're expecting fullness. We're expecting miracles. So this is what we're waiting for. So we can be excited about this. This is an amazing thing. So we're watching and we're waiting. And what are we doing in the meantime? Because it's so easy to just sit down and say, Oh, I have enough oil for my little lamp. And I'm good. And I'm waiting. And Jesus is going to come back and I'll be good. That was never the point of Christianity. The point was never to just make sure that you and your little bubble is okay. Christianity was always about community. It was always about being with other people. This modern idea of every man is an island is very modern. In the Old Testament, or even in the New Testament, your community was so important. That's why when the Caesars started attacking people for their faith, they started looking at what they're doing. Because it's easier to attack people for what they're doing than what they believe. Because I don't know what you believe, but I can see what you do. And they saw what the Christians were doing. So, we are waiting for eternity. This is our hope. We're waiting for this eternity and this blessing. But we are not living for the temporary. We are treating the, this world as though it doesn't matter. It depends on what your view is of the end times. This world matters. And we are called to be the, uh, what's the word? Stewards. Stewards of this world. God has called us to protect this world. But we're expecting him to return any day. So we say, don't worry, it'll be fine. Jesus is going to come and he's just going to fix all of this. And we wash our hands of our responsibility to this world. We see the sick and the dying. And we say, ah, oh, Jesus will come and fix this all. And we neglect our responsibility in this world. In February of 2017, I made a Facebook post. I said, congratulations. If you are reading this, you survived another end of the world. <laughs> I don't know if uh, the apocalypse in 2017 was big here. There was a big one. The planet Nibiru was going to come by and it was going to destroy the earth anyway. <laughs> Since then, there's been three more apocalypses that we've survived. Someone predicted the end of the world, and it hasn't happened. And I love that uh, Matt once said, he doesn't know when the end of the world's going to be, but we're one day closer to it. And that's what I believe. We're one day closer 
but we don't know when. And when I was a kid, I had this belief that every night I believed that Jesus was going to come that night because then he couldn't come that night because I was expecting him to come. Because I was expecting him to come, he couldn't come. That's how kids think. <laughs> it's like, yes, tricked you. <laughs> We've been so numbed by this fear and this anxiety of the end of the world that we just don't care about it anymore. I hear prophecies about the end of the world these days, and I'm like, huh, we'll see. <laughs> and they're never right until they're right. <laughs> because we've just been inundated with so many prophecies, and we've just been disappointed so many times of this end of the world that is coming that we just don't listen to it anymore. We just ignore it. That's not how the early church lived. They lived with almost a constant anxiety and panic of this end of the world. And not because they were afraid for themselves. Not because they weren't sure what was going to happen to them. They knew they were safe. They knew they had their trust in God, in Jesus. They had all of their faith. And Jesus had already confirmed with them that they are saved. They weren't anxious for themselves. They were anxious for other people. They were anxious to bring more people into the faith because they wanted more people to be saved with them. They wanted more people to have this eternal life. After the Titanic sank, uh, there was still space. Uh, only 25% of the lifeboats that were floating were filled. And only two lifeboats went back to get more people. If you're sitting there with the only way to save life, would you sit back and watch as people drown? Or would you go and find as many people as you could save and get them aboard and say, come, we'll be okay, we'll be together? In Colossians 1 verse 13, he says, we've been delivered from a kingdom of darkness. And this kingdom of darkness is what is so scary. And if you don't know what the end is going to bring, it is scary. It is overwhelming. But we have this faith that we have been delivered. But now we have to have that anxiety of saving as many others as we can. This time... Uh, we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Are we doing the work of Jesus? Are we spreading the gospel? Are we helping the sick, the poor? So this idea of just watching and waiting, this idea of sitting back has never been a part of Christianity, but it has seeped into the world. And that has seeped into our lives. Because it's so much easier to just say, oh, God will sort it out. Than to say, God has put me on earth. And I have to do the things he has called me to do. Because he has called us to love one another. He has called us to care for one another. 
And we are told to be these good stewards of earth. Are we? In the old days, there were these fire and brimstone preachers who <laughs> warned of the end times. And that kept people in this constant state of anxiety. And you read about the uh, early church. Well, uh, there's this guy called John G. Lake. And he was instrumental in the church that I grew up in South Africa. And he had a very fire brimstone message. And people were so anxious and so willing to do everything that they didn't care about how they looked. They didn't care about their image. They just cared about spreading the word. They didn't care who they prayed for. They just went and prayed. John Ray's uh, dad had a tumor. Where was the tumor? On his face. And these weird people from church, my grand, uh, grandparents didn't go to church. These weird people heard that this baby was sick, and they came to their house and started doing Bible study in their house every week. Didn't even pray for the kid. Just started to bring Jesus into that house. And that's weird. But he was healed. Didn't leave a scar didn't leave a mark. It just went away. These people were so passionate about God and knowing that God is good and God is great that they didn't care about their image or how they'll be perceived and, oh, what they're going to think of me. I can't do this thing. Oh, I feel so... Sh this wasn't the early church. The early church stood up and said, yes, this is what I believe. And if you will kill me for this, you can We've become so proper. We've been so, we've become so afraid to offend. I was getting my, uh, I was at my physio and he was working at my, on my foot. And I was talking about uh, my previous job as a youth pastor. And I found myself doing a little <laughs> laugh as, as uh, and I used to be a youth pastor. And making it off as something less than it was, and the Holy Spirit immediately convicted me in my heart. Is that something you should make light of? Or something you should be proud of? And immediately I felt so convicted that I cannot make the kingdom of God, even for a moment, look like it is not ready to lay its life down. We are called to be anxious for the end. Not for ourselves. We have peace. I love this part in Second Peter 1. And it talks about this peace of the end. So it's Second Peter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then he goes on, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities are so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have your faith. It starts with your faith. And then he says, now build on this faith. Build on this faith. All these other things. Your faith is what saves you. Your faith in Jesus is all you need. Peter says, now add this, become stronger, become better, become more effective in spreading this word. Faith is all you need. You can stay with faith. If you want to, you can stay here at the bottom. Just faith, just love. But he says, come on, build on this. Be stronger, be better. Have all these other things. The question is, if Jesus is going to come, what's he going to do? Is he just going to make everything perfect in this world? When Jesus comes, is he going to take us away? Uh, when Jesus comes, is this world going to perish in a ball of fire? Or is this going to be the new heaven? And this all comes down to your perception of Jesus' return. What is this world going to look like? You can <laughs> this is the key. If this world is just going to perish in two or three years, none of this matters. None of what we're doing now matters. But it does matter. We've been called to make this world better. We're supposed to be the best. We're supposed to be the ideal people you would have in your society. Because they're just making it better just for the sake of making it better. And what if Jesus comes in another thousand years? Is your faith strong enough for Jesus not to return in your time? And that you will be building for something that you will never see? Jesus loves you. And many people have been disappointed by Jesus not returning in their time. I tell you that every time... Jesus doesn't come. He's allowing more people to be added to the body of Christ. And are we, allow, are we going to leave this place better than we found it or worse? We have to leave behind a better earth and better people in this world. And today when you take communion, I want you to think of that. Think about what you are promising God when you are becoming a Christian. When you are living as a Christian, think about our responsibility to Jesus. Not to earn your salvation, not to get your place in heaven, because you cannot earn that. You cannot be good enough to get your place into heaven. We're only saved by faith. 
But now that you have been given this perfect, beautiful gift, what are you doing with that gift? Are you going to leave this place better than you found it? In communion today, if you're new in our church, please don't feel compelled to come and take it. And if you're visiting, you're welcome to take it. But it's our symbol of what Jesus has done for us. When we drink the wine, we think of the blood that he spilled for us. And when we eat the bread, we remember his body broken for us. And our response to that is to make this place better. Please close your eyes. Jesus, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And thank you that you called us into your body. And God, I pray that we will be ignited, that you will stir a fire in our hearts for you, and that we will forget being embarrassed by what we believed. Jesus, I pray that you will draw us closer to you and that we will be more concerned with what you think of us than the world. I pray that we will be invigorated for your body. In your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.